I read a funny story this past week that um, made me turn my mind to these verses. The story was about a young couple getting married, and uh, it was the night that the young man had come to have dinner for the first time with his future in-laws-to-be. And um, at the dinner, as as it will go, fathers of daughters will will really appreciate this. Um, not not having daughters myself, I um, I, I I'm not sure if it would go exactly like this. I know it went similar to this with my father-in-law. And the story was like this: the the father-in-law finally had a moment to bring the new son-in-law to be into his study. Wanted to ask him a few questions, and he he said, you know, I I just curious about. What is it that you're going to actually do for a, for a living? He said, well, my hope is to be a pastor. And so right now I'm studying the scriptures. He goes, well, that, that's a very noble task. He said, how, how do you expect to um, feed my daughter in the, in the way that she's accustomed to being fed? And he said, well, sir, we plan on trusting God. Said, oh, I, I see. He said, and what about a home to live in? Um, how are you going to take care of my daughter and get her a home in, a, in the way that she's accustomed to living? Once again, the young man looked and he said, well, well, God, I, well, Father, I'm going to I'm going to study the scriptures and and um, work hard. He goes, other than that, we're going to be trusting God. He said, oh, I I, I see. He said, how are you going to clothe my daughter in the clothing that she's been accustomed to wearing all of her life? He said, well, once again, I, we're, we're, we're going to trust God with that. He said, and, and the children? Apparently, you'd like to have children? I'd like to see grandchildren. How will you uh, be caring for my grandchildren? He said, well, I'm, I'm going to study the scriptures, and we're going to trust God. The boy laughed and the father-in-law-to-be and the mother-in-law-to-be had a moment to be alone. And the mother-in-law, of course, asked the, asked the father-in-law, how, well, how did how'd your meeting with our future son-in-law go? He said, well, it was, it was all right. He said, well, what's his plan? He said, well, he doesn't, he doesn't really have a plan. But the good news is he thinks I'm God. Everyone that's laughing has a daughter. Um, everyone who's not laughing has been a son-in-law. Um, but but what if what if we did have a father that promised that he would care for our future? If we would just be faithful to the task that he has set before us. And his promise was, if you'll do that, I will show you grace and mercy and meet every need that you have. What if, what if we really did? Well, Jesus says, in fact, that's the truth. We do. These verses that Jason just read come at the tail end or towards the tail end of the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus' longest 
exposition of, of truth within the Scriptures. And I kind of want to set it in context by going back just a couple of verses, back to 622, where Jesus says this. He says, the light is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Jesus isn't talking about whether we have cataracts or are nearsighted or farsighted. What Jesus is talking about there is your life view. The way that you see God and the way that you see the way life is. And he says if we live in the light of God, if we live in the light of his truth, then it will be bright and brilliant and shining. And yet, if our eyes don't see that, if our eyes refuse to adjust to live in the light of the gospel, the darkness is so great that we can't even begin to fathom the absence of light that goes that deep. No one, he says, can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. That word there is an interesting word. It doesn't just mean money. It means that which we find life from. Whether that be work or whether that be money or whether that be clothing or whether that be security of any type other than our security being placed in God. And Jesus clearly says, you can't serve both. You can't walk the line on both issues. Last week we talked about changing our altitude, our worldview, about having a higher view. (coughs) That Jesus, through the book of Colossians and the Holy Spirit, Paul writes that we are to set our minds on the things that are above, not the things below. That we are to raise the view of life that we have. We're to have a higher altitude of living. This morning I want to talk about a real transformation into having a higher aptitude. What do I mean by aptitude? I mean that which is uh, our gifts, those things which naturally come to us, those, that way we are hardwired in life, that we are to use our aptitudes and our gifts for the sake of God so that we might serve Him more than self. Let me give you this truth, a statement. Because we live in a world where one, speaking of a person, where a person is both rewarded and envied by our apparent aptitudes or giftedness, we often pursue security in that which is decaying. I think of aging athletes here that never quite leave high school, never quite leave their profession. They're always living back in the past. And as their body decays, they still in their mind think that somehow that glory day was their day and that somehow it expands, but it's the same for all of us. We idolize our past in so many ways and we want to return there and live in the past. And in doing so, we cannot see nor press forward to that which God is calling our giftedness to advance. Where does that leave us? It only leaves us feeling frustrated and anxious because we are placing ourselves at odds with God. 
The struggle is this. How can the gifts of my life, the way that God has wired me, transform from a view of fleshliness and flesh-centeredness into a kingdom-centered living? When Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money, Jesus is calling you and I to reject mammon, to reject security in this world, to reject it and fully place our hopes, our security, our future, our present, even our past into his hands and trust him with it. I think this morning in my own heart as I think of those places where Jesus is speaking right now that it really determines what I really believe about Jesus is in the way I respond to what Jesus is saying. We live in probably the most wealthiest time in the history of mankind. And you and I live probably in the most wealthy culture in the history of mankind. When you look in your closet, I don't know about you, but we have to have a walk-in closet. Apparently it's essential. Well, that says something. That says there's a lot of stuff. Apparently I have more than one jacket. Several which do not fit. But I'm not going to get rid of them yet because I'm losing weight one day. How many refrigerators do you have in your home? How many freezers do you have in your home? Most of us go and do weekly shopping. Some even do monthly shopping. Oh, I I know there's the odd ramen noodle person in here. I'm with you. Been there. You'll get over it. It'll come. But the fact of the matter is, is we've become so ensconced in our wealth, so blinded by everything that we have, we cannot hear the words of Jesus that says, you must not find security in that. You must reject that kind of life and live in the security of what is coming. Those are radical words. Those are radical thoughts. And Jesus isn't making a suggestion here. Jesus is flat out making an accusation about us in the way that we respond. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Suggestion or command? Imperative or a hope? A goal or truth? There's no other way to read it. Believe me, I've tried. There's no other way to rationalize it. Believe me, I have tried. There's no other way to say, God, isn't it important that I'm comfortable in this world and at the same time can serve you? I spent 20 years of my life attempting to do that. 
You know, the most uncomfortable place in the world is sitting on the fence. Get that as a word picture, and then you'll understand what I mean. Especially if it's a picket fence. It's coming. What Jesus is saying, you must transform the way you live life. You must transform the way you apply your aptitude to life. But how? How can I gain a new transformed view of my gifts? I think many of us struggle with the idea that they're gifts. Most of us think somehow we earned everything that we have. We went to school. We we did the hard work of going to school, of going to college. Think about that for just a moment. How did you get to college? How did you get to be born in a place that even has a college? How were you put in an environment where there was enough money to be earned by your parents so that you might go to college? How were you placed in a culture that if you didn't have parents that could afford to send you to college, gave you the opportunity to work to go to college? And how many of you who didn't necessarily work to go to college, but you had a place where you could get a scholarship to go to college? Or you lived in a place where you could get a loan to go to college? That's unique to our culture. The vast majority of the world does not live that way and does not have that kind of opportunity. Who cared for your health those 18, 19 years In a world that's so ensconced with disease and viruses and trouble, who protected you? Everything at hand is at hand by a gift of grace. We work faithful. We work hard. We do what's necessary to expand those gifts. But we can never forget they're simply gifts. You did not one thing to cho- you didn't do one thing to choose where you might be born. You had nothing and your opinion was not asked in that you would be born in this day and in this time to be subject to this wealth. It is only by his grace You and I must gain a transformed view of our gifts by moving from temporal and a temporal, temporary view of life to an eternal view. Look at verse 25 with me, please. Therefore, I tell you, be anxious about your, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You and I don't live, need to live in a get-what-we-can-now attitude. Let me ask you a question. Are you afraid of running out? There's a commercial that I, I somewhat relate to in my own life. And when I see it, it creates a little anxiousness in me. I must repent from it quickly. Many of you have seen it on TV. It's about the lady talking about she has a great fear of being 80 years old and dressed in a 
banana suit, waving at people on the traffic going by. Haven't seen that one? That's sad. I had the next point of the whole sermon around that one thing. How about this? Have any of you ever worried that you're going to end up a Walmart greeter? I have. Thank you. Hallelujah. There you go. And what that causes in me is this idea, uh, oh gosh, we got we got to get it all and get it all now because life's going to come to an end and it's going to come to an end too fast and I'm going to run out. I'm not going to have enough. How am I going to take care of everybody? What am I going to do? Jesus says here, don't you understand your life is more than that? Don't you understand you don't need to be anxious about all those things? You may not even live beyond tomorrow. <coughs> that sounds like it. The stock market may crash tomorrow and you're going to have nothing. Jesus says, do not put your confidence there. Don't use your gifts for all of that which is perishing and fading away. Don't spend your life serving mammon. But use your gifts for that which is eternal. Use your aptitudes for that which is eternal. If you do so, You will have a better understanding and wisdom of how to live daily in this life. It's not a suggestion. It's not an exhortation as much as, or a goal setting. It's an outright command. I tell you, don't be anxious about you. Gain an eternal view. Listen, anxiousness about self only does this. It only creates a frustration because we're attempting to hold on to that which is passing. Having a short-term flesh view, world view, will only create frustration because it's like trying to grab mercury. You might, the moment you think you have it, it slips between your fingers. And what that causes in us is two things that become very apparent. Jesus says that life is more important than the apparent. And the two things that come out of it are, one is posturing and posing. If my security is in that which I have or, or those things which I do or, or who other people say that I am, it's going to cause me to posture. If I must have my way, if my way is the only way, if I'm so self-centered that all I can see is what I think, then don't you understand you have to posture there. You have to become the strong man, the strong woman there, to hold on to what you think, to what you feel. To your position. In the world that is all about you, Jesus says, 
is a world of only the apparent, and God is doing so many bigger things than just what you can perceive. Or posing. I spent years in sales before I went into the ministry. And the whole sales industry sometimes is centered around posing. It's not so much about what you have as much as it is about what you appear to have. I want to submit to you, I found that to be true about almost every industry there is in our culture. It's not so important of the position that you have. It's mostly important about what the appearance of the position that you have is. Whether that be an engineer, whether that be a doctor, whether that be a lawyer or Indian chief, whether you're a stay-at-home father or mother, some of it is based upon what size home you have, how many hours you get to really actually stay at home, what kind of car you drive, what kind of car you don't drive, where are your kids enrolled in school, where are they not enrolled in school, what kind of clothes do they wear, do they have the latest Nike shoe, all sorts of things go into this, and if they don't, then they're embarrassed, and that embarrasses me because their shame becomes my shame. And I can just hear the kids ridicule them like they ridiculed me in school. And now all of a sudden I need to go get a credit card so that I can jack that baby up as high as it can go so that I can pose. And that's where life of the temporal leads us. And our marketing people know that. We are bombarded on every commercial, in every magazine, on every radio ad that this is life. We are told in our schools, we are told by those in authority over us, focus on this. This is life. Get more, get more, do more, do more, get more, do more, get more, do more. That's what life is. Hit the pinnacle. Hit the highest point. That's what life is. And unless you do that, you're a failure. Jesus says something radically different from that. Jesus says, get me, and you'll have everything. Believe in me, and I will give you the riches of heaven. Trust me, and I will provide every need that you have here and give you exceedingly beyond what you could ever imagine for eternity. Our culture says, get death. Jesus says, I give life. The second thing is pride that is foolish. Not only does a temporal life cause us to posture and pose, but it it causes a pride that is foolish. It causes us to do everything that's antithetical to the fruit of the Spirit. If the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, kindness, peace, gentleness, self-control, long-suffering, faithfulness, The temporal life takes everything away from that. You know in Galatians chapter 5, the difference between the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Understand it this way. The fruit of the Spirit is life and eternal, and the fruit of the flesh is the temporal. It is the complete opposite of the gifts of the Spirit and its fruit. 
And what happens is, is we become so prideful about the way that we live antithetically to the gospel that we build a religion around it. We build, we spiritualize it, and we say, God, I can do both. I can serve mammon, and I can serve you. I know I can do it. Which is totally antithetical to the command of Jesus. I wish that Jesus was more wishy-washy sometimes. I wish he left things up to my opinion more often. I wish there was some negotiating room in the way that he calls us to live in the way that we live. But there's not. He's God. He's the king. He is the head of the church. And he calls us to enter into his commands as obedient people. Because you see, here's the truth that I said earlier. What I believe about Jesus directly correlates to my obedience. What you believe about Jesus directly correlates to your obedience. In other words, if he's just a good teacher, maybe we can have a dialogue. Maybe we can, we can hash this thing out about serving mammon and, and God. Or if he's, if, he's, um, if he's just a good man, then it, it was only an opinion that he gave. And I, and I have my own opinion as well. And we can, we can exchange opinions and we can agree to disagree. We could do it agreeably. But the trouble is, is I believe he's God. I confess before a whole church and many churches before you. I believe Jesus is God. I'm betting everything on it. And therefore, it is critical... that I respond to God the way He commands that I respond. Because it is evident of what I believe about who He is. Oh, we can sing, Holy are you God, but do we live that way? Do we respond to Him that way? We can say, God, I need thee every hour. Every hour I need thee. But do we live that way? God, I trust you. I trust you with my very life. Until you threaten my very life. Do we live... In the truth that Jesus is king and head of the church and that Jesus is the Lord God Almighty over our lives. Our answer to that 
must be reflected in the way that we live and walk. Jesus asked several rhetorical questions in verses 26 through 30. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O of little faith? Several questions that Jesus asked rhetorically. It's, a, it's an old rabbinical way of teaching by saying, and the lesser, if the least of these is what God does, if God takes care of the least, if God takes care of that which is perishable, how will he not more so take care of you which is imperishable? That which is of little importance God loves and adores and cares for and adorns in great majesty, how much more will he care for the ones who he came to die for? The answer to Jesus' questions are this, that you are, no more, you are more valuable than the beast. You are image bearers of the living God. Is not God over generous? Think of the words to Abram, that he would be his great reward. Are you not under the hand of a sovereign God? Are you here by design or simply by an accident? What does God want from you? What does God want from me? Trust that's evidenced by action. The highest evidence of our love for God is our trust in Him. So much so that we're willing to do whatever he asks. We can sing, we can say, we can pray, God, we love you. But if our actions of trust don't match our words, then how have we trusted him? When my boys were little, they had a tendency to fall asleep on the floor. And I had the amazing grace of being able to pick them up to carry them to their bed. Sometimes I would lift them up. I mean, they were just dead weight. And as I was lifting them up, they would kind of awaken and they'd be startled. And they would jump. And then their eyes would open and they would see it was their daddy that was holding them. And immediately they went back into dead weight and rest. Life comes to us. Life startles us. But I am convinced that the startling, the shaking, is only so that we'll open our eyes and see that our Father truly holds us and that we can rest, that He has great care for us. Jesus says, 
than these rhetorical questions. Your Father's love for you is so great that He sent me. Your Father's not evaluating you. Your Father's not judging you. Your Father is coming to you to tell you that He adores you and loves you. Evidenced by my death for you. Trust me. If you love me, obey me, and trust me. Second thing this morning, not only do we need to have transformed views of our gifts, but the actions that we take with our gifts determine our friendship with Jesus. As I said earlier, you and I cannot live as hybrid Christians any longer. Look at verse 32 with me. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. You see, what Jesus is saying is don't live like the rest of the world. Don't focus on the things that the world focuses on. Don't be consumed with the world's passions. But be consumed with your father's passion for you and the passion that he has for his kingdom. What might that look like? Well, it might look like this. It might look like if, I'm a, if I were to be a doctor, maybe I might pray in the morning before I went to my practice, Lord, how can I best heal people for your glory? How might I show someone, one of my patients today, how much you love them? If I'm going to open up someone's chest and work on their heart, may they see my heart for you. Maybe it would be just praying over your patients. Possibly you're an engineer. I know there's several engineers in here. Maybe it would be you got up in the morning and you said, Father, let me build a bridge for your glory. Let me look at every nut and bolt I plan on every structure as one that would be for your glory and for the benefit of your people and mankind. May the building that I design or the places where I work be so about you that the world couldn't stand not praising you. Maybe you're a teacher. Lord, how can I, how can I share education in a way that glorifies you today? Youth leader, maybe you're a minister. Lord, keep me from frustration and help me to love a people like you would love a people. You probably don't know this, but I have 200 opinions almost every day of what I should do or shouldn't do or how I should be or shouldn't be. Yeah, baby. Amen. My job is not to listen to every opinion or to respond to every opinion, but my job is to love every opinion giver because my job is to respond to what God has called me to do. And you see, I pray that almost every morning. Lord, help me to love the way that you would love. Help me to minister the way that you would minister. Help me to be patient when it runs short. Every one of us, no matter what you do, no matter what your living is, no matter how you're going through life, mother, brother, sister, teacher, Indian chief, doctor, lawyer, retired, it doesn't matter. 
be before the Lord and say, Lord, how can the gifts that you've given me this day, the aptitudes that you've given me, how am I wired that I might glorify you in this day with what I do? That's how we begin to live for God and serve him and not just mammon. (coughs) The word seek here means to diligently apprehend, to desire more than anything. Diligently apprehend God's kingdom first. Another way it can be understood is to mean to apply one's gifts towards the betterment of the object. In other words, shower it with your gifts. Shower God's kingdom with the gifts that he's given you to use. What might we take away this morning? Three things. First is this. God and his kingdom are the solution to everything you and I struggle with. God and his kingdom and our focus upon that is the answer to everything that we struggle with here in the flesh. Are you afraid of dying? Focus on his eternal nature. Are you afraid of running out? Know that he has the riches of heaven. Are you feeling friendless? Know that he is a friend that will never leave you. Are you feeling guilty? Know that he's taken away your shame. Are you feeling like you don't have enough smarts or wisdom to accomplish something? Pray. He promised he would give you wisdom. God and his kingdom are the solution to every struggle that we have. Why? Because you're not temporal beings. You are eternal beings that live in temporal bodies. You and I must set our minds and our eyes and our lives and our passions and our gifts on a higher plane. Because of the second reason, because God is over generous and he will care for you. To not trust that and to not believe that is to not love God. It's not just our weakness. It's not just our failings. It's not just our inabilities. It is our distinct rebellion to say, God, I do not trust you. Because I do not love you. And every one of us struggle with that on every single level. But the good news is is that Christ knew that about us and came and died for us and covered our weaknesses. So that even when we fail, we can come back to the throne of grace boldly and say, Lord, I failed. I'm miserable and I messed up. But you are a gracious and a good king who forgives me and allows me to start afresh and anew trusting you with my life. And God will say the third thing here, the third takeaway. We must apply our aptitudes, our gifts towards God. In other words, you and I must start living for God and not self. And those things which glorify Him. Our communion meal is exactly that. It is a meal that we commune together, not only here in the body together, but also with the saints that have gone before us, those eternal ones. And we recognize in this meal That Jesus is reigning king. (coughs) And in partaking, we are saying, God, we trust you. We believe that you died for us and we believe that you lived for us. Therefore, we as a people, not just individuals, but as a corporate people, we will live for you. And by partaking in this meal, we acknowledge our sinfulness, but we also acknowledge our redemption 
And we acknowledge our call to be anxious for nothing. But to believe that you love us. You will care for us. You will provide for us. And you will get us home. Let's pray.